The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. of coding slave will still be there two hours from now so listen up it's time for another stellar edition of dotnet rocks the internet audio talk show for dotnet developers with carl franklin and rory plight this is karen cavallero here to announce show number 63 with guest kathleen dollar recorded live thursday may 6 2004 dotnet rocks is brought to you by franklin's net training developers to work smarter and now offering hands-on VB.net and ASP.net classes remotely. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.net web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine. Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man whose favorite palindrome is Go hang a salami, I'm a lasagna hog, Carl Franklin! Digital blood without any pain Nice. Gotta get it up Nice palindrome. <laughs> a 10. Yeah. Give that a 10. How you doing? I'm Carl. This is my show, .NET Rocks, the internet talk show for audio developer .NET Audio wonks. developers. <laughs> and uh, we haven't even started drinking yet, folks. <laughs> I told you, man, last week. What did I say? Half the IQ, twice the fun. <laughs> right? did, I, did I make a mistake in the disclaimer or something? No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, so I'd like to introduce my partner in crime, my compadre, Mr. Rory, here in New London, Blythe. This is Carl, and I'm here drinking. And uh, how you doing, Rory? I'm uh, I'm totally sleep deprived. Um, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm I'm better than I was last week, though. You know, I'm over I'm over the antibiotic allergic uh, reaction. Shall we do that again? No. Okay. Nah. <laughs> I'm I'm over the allergic reaction. Don't don't have the uh low blood pressure that was basically going to knock me out and send me to the emergency room at any given point in the day. Oh, okay. So it's always nice to be past that, you know. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. We like to hear that your health is good. Otherwise, uh we might, I don't know, find you in the gutter in New London somewhere, you know, looking up and talking to yourself. <laughs> hey, you'd fit right in actually, so <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Roy, you know what time it is? It's um, scotch time. Oh, I thought it was 10-10. <laughs> I guess that is scotch time. <laughs> I, uh, went, hey, this is okay, folks. He's got a tie on. Yeah, no. And, it's totally professional. And in fact, I haven't had anything to drink yet today <laughs> at, at all. all. <laughs> yes, thank you. Hey, but, wait a minute, Carl. You know, I have to I have to butt in here a second. 
you know that it is always the responsibility of somebody at a gig to get the sound man messed up. And if you're drinking in there, I'm very, very upset well, and a little all, jealous. All I have to say is, where's your glass? Just uh, bring it in. Okay? I got a mug. So, well, that's come a, that's on in. That rocks mug. We, um, the, the, the drink of the night is 18-year-old Macallan single malt, single Highland malt scotch whiskey. And let me tell you, folks... This is some nice stuff right here. Does that mean that I shouldn't bring my can of Minute Maid original orange juice in there to pour it into? You definitely should not. Oh. Jeff, you don't need booze, though. It's kind of a small room back there. You could just close the door and enjoy the asphyxiation. You know, you get a nice and buzz off of that. We've got a little bit of the, the melting computer components thing going <laughs> Jeff, on. The come servers on. Actually, have we have a glass for you in here, Jeff. A little you bit of the, electrical uh, fire. All right. So smoke. if anything goes wrong with the, with the, uh, with the stream, folks, I'm, it's, too, it's too bad for you. I'm busy getting drunk. So come on. All I got to say is... <laughs> All right, and uh, there it is. The Here's... night they lost their sponsors, <laughs> and here you know, comes we're just, Jeff. We're just having a good time because it's Thursday night, and we can do this, you know. And we don't have to be up until seven o'clock in the morning. All right, sh- here it goes. Here it goes. Ready? Ah. Uh... Hey, don't get any on your tie there, Carl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. Ah, cheers. Here we go. <laughs> Salud. And the winner is. You know, I don't want to get spit on my ah. cup, so I'll just air cheers you. Boy, cheers. that is some smooth stuff right there. So if you're now, we hope we hope that you drink responsibly and, you know, only only do this with us. If you're sitting at home, you know, you got your DSL, your cable modem, the kids are asleep, the wife is asleep or the husband's asleep. And, you know, you're going nowhere. So if you're out there and you're going to drive anywhere, then certainly don't take. If you've got the show on MP3 and you got it in the in the yeah in the drive or whatever, put the alcohol yeah. away and uh, and listen up. Anyway, I wanted to uh, make some announcements before we get started, Rory. You know, we seldom do any shameless self promotion on the show of things that are other than .NET Rocks, but I sort of want to talk about some things that are going on. Uh, the Franklin's Net Remote classes are still going great. Uh, we're doing. I'm doing an article in Code Magazine, a regular Sweet. column. Uh, called Heard on .NET Rocks. Yeah, and what I do is I basically pick a show for the whole span. I think it's a, it comes out every two months. So uh, pick one show for that two-month period that I really liked and sort of highlight it, some clips and some quotes from that show and talk about it. Um, so it's a, it's a kind of a nice way to read up on things that uh, are going on on the show. And uh, that's at code-magazine.com. Don't go to codemagazine.com because that's a porn site. <laughs> Wait, Carl, are you gonna are you gonna kind of get into some of the topics of the show? Like, if there's some technical stuff, you're gonna drill a little deeper. Or Basically, some questions it's a very like short it's a very short column. Oh, okay, so I'm gonna pick one show and I'm gonna pick what I think are the real juicy parts. Yeah. of the show and and sort of quote them and cool. Yeah, all right. So yes, there are gonna be some technical things in there too. The last one, the first one I did was sort of from the first 20, 50 shows or whatever it was. You know, I had some quotes from Alan Cooper, from Don Box, from Scott Guthrie. The second one was uh, all about Bob Wrestleman oh, in the Code okay. Magazine yeah. sh- uh, Coding Slave show. That was great. And we'll just take it from there. So um, uh, well, you're doing some stuff in MSDN Magazine, actually. Well, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in this uh, mode where I'm kind of looking into it. Okay. And it's a it's a serious possibility. Uh, I've just okay. had a lot going on at Big Co. Right, right. Lately and everything. Although I'm going to be stopping at Big Co. before too long. 
Uh, also, a tech ed. Boy, this is spill the beans, Carl night, isn't it? Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You've only had like three sips of whiskey in you. I know. It's, yeah, it's, then I killed him and put him in the trunk. <laughs> yeah, that was me, Ossifer. Really? So, at TechEd, however, this is completely uh, public knowledge. We are going. We just got approval from Ineta to do a Birds of Feather session. Awesome. A .NET Rocks show, uh, which is going to be called .NET Rocks Presents The Future. <laughs> The future. <laughs> the future according to .NET Rocks. Yeah. So we're going to be having a discussion with the, 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 you know, the group that's there, Rory and myself, uh, about what do people think the future is going to hold for them, their jobs, their futures, yeah. the future of technology. You know, we're just going to sort of mix it up and, and have some fun. And also some fun, like, wide-eyed, naive speculation about what could be, the kind of stuff nerds like to talk about. Mm-hmm. Where we, we're, we're a bunch of database coders, but we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence like we know, like the back of our hand. You know, it's gonna be, it'll be fun. <laughs> we'll just make some stuff up. And, well, I think this is going to happen. No, I think this is going to happen. That kind of stuff. It'll be a good time. <laughs> be a good good time. Yeah. And uh, next week, the show is going to be reflections on Dev Connections. So oh, we're gonna, yeah. So we're gonna talk about uh, our experiences at Dev Connections and conferences, and we actually ran into some of the speakers and some of the people attending, and we recorded, you know, some sessions. So we'll, oh yeah, reflect back on those. Talk about that. That should be fun because it's going to cover just a wide variety of topics. Uh, we got some new classes in the works. Here, uh, I guess I'm not talking too much about them. Only to say <laughs> that, only to say that we're thinking about. I'm thinking about doing a one-day hands-on security class. Sweet. Yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I know about this and that I use, and I just want to put it all together into a nice one-day class. So those are the announcements. Now on to the mail. Yeah, we got a couple of uh, great emails this week. Carl and Rory. This one comes from Alfred. Alfred. Blah, blah, blah. This one comes from Alfred Raphael, uh, who says, Carl and Rory, I just want to say thank you for putting on a great show. I came across a link to .NET Rocks in MSDN about three weeks ago, and I must admit, when I read the description of the show, I was skeptical. Hmm. I did not think it would be possible to put on a show dedicated to discussing .NET and other technologies. After all, IT is not the most riveting of topics to discuss. <laughs> However, after listening to one episode, I was hooked. Not only is your show informative, but also very funny. Is, was Hook. he listening to our show? <laughs> <laughs> Hook, though. That's, a, that's another one of those near-drug right. references. Near-drug references. like yeah. crack, you know? It is really refreshing to listen to a talk show that is relevant to my job and also fun to listen to. During the last few weeks, I have been downloading your show and listening to it at work, and I have learned so much, particularly about the next release of Visual Studio and the upcoming new features in Longhorn and Yukon. I don't normally have a lot of time to read the local IT magazines and newspapers, so your show is perfect for keeping up to date with the latest developments in .NET. And just quickly, I want to let you know about my personal experiences with .NET. I have a background in mainframe development, and about two years ago, I wrote a web app using Visual Interdev. Visual Interdev. Is that a product? I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Of course it is. At the time, I was teaching myself how to use it, so it took me about six months spending two to three hours a week on the project. Last year when I got my first copy of VisualStudio.net, I redeveloped the application in about a week with new features that were far superior than the original app. What more can I say about .NET? I live and work in New Zealand, in parentheses, Middle Earth, (laughs) (laughs) 
So I have not been able to listen to your show live, but I have enjoyed going through the archive of your previous shows. I've sent an email to everyone in my team, 45 people, to let them know about your show. Keep up the great work. Regards, Alfred Raphael, Senior Analyst Programmer at uh, ASB Bank Limited in uh, New Zealand. Uh, Alfred, what can I say, man? You made Thank my, you. You made our yeah, week. Thanks, that's man. great. You know, we get a lot of stuff from New Zealand and Australia. Have you noticed that? Yeah, that's true. Isn't that kind of weird? It is weird. I wonder if that's like the new Japan, where in the old days you'd say, yeah, they love us in Japan. Now maybe it's like they love us in Australia. You well, know? maybe it's because, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say anything that'll they're get me in trouble. They're really nice. They're very nice, yeah. yeah, and laid back, too. Yeah. They don't They don't write in and berate us and tell us we're Yeah, they morons. tell us yeah, we're not pro- professional and we should be laid, wearing ties. They're laid and, back, and they're really nice. Yeah, they know how to enjoy life. That's for sure. Thank you, Australia. Yep. Uh, this one comes from Robert Smith. Uh, hello, Carl. Uh, I wanted to tell you that I'm running in the Boston Marathon, and I finished the marathon in a net time of 3.5405. Wow. Uh, three hours, 54 minutes, five seconds, which was okay considering the extremely warm weather conditions. More importantly, I was listening to .NET Rock shows for approximately the first 11 miles of the run. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you for the motivation and for putting out such great programs. Rock on, Bob Smith, Ashland, Massachusetts. Rob, you're my hero. That's awesome. The only exercise I get right now is a 12-ounce curl, and I think I'll curl one right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> Sad, I know. And uh, this one comes from Michael Wharton. He, it's about XML Spy. I think he was talking about the Don XML show. He says, Carl and Roy, great show. I wish I could get online live, but I have to work. Why not try a midnight show? Which is very close to uh, what we do anyway. Anyway, I was going to say there are some great books for learning. I just read the XML Spy book that provides a 90 evaluation copy. I think he means a 90-day eval copy of XML Spy. This is a pretty cool tool. It provides a visual uh, visual designer for designing XML schemas. It really helped me get my hands around XML and understand it. And yeah, XML Spy has been around for a, quite a while. Yeah. And uh, he gave us a link to the official XML Spy handbook, which we will provide on the show. This was just a funny one that came in. A friend of mine said, uh, Today is my daughter's 18th birthday. I'm so glad this is my last child support payment. Month after month, year after year, those payments. I called my baby girl to come over to my house, and when she got there, I said to her, Baby girl, I want you to take this last check over to your mom's house, your mama's house, and you tell her that this is the last check she's ever going to get from me, and then I want you to come back here and tell me the expression she had on her face. So my baby girl took the check over to her, and I was so anxious to hear what that witch had to say and what she looked like. And as my baby girl walked through the door, I said, Well, now. What did she have to say? And my baby girl said, she told me to tell you that you ain't my daddy. (laughs) Some weirdness, eh? (laughs) So there. (laughs) Oh, man. Well... That, uh, that's about it for us. And on that note... (laughs) Ah... So, uh, so what you been up to, Roy? Well, I've been working. I've been. Uh, I bought a video game a week ago that I've kind of gotten addicted to. Really, I haven't really seen the light of day. That's why we haven't heard much from you lately. Well, I also got a net connection in my apartment. Finally, ah, yeah. yeah. I finally caved and got a net connection, and so I spent a lot of time just kind of hanging out and playing this game, this Star Wars role playing game. I decided I was going to be evil. 
But when it came time to get right down to it and strike down some innocent people, I couldn't do it. I couldn't even be mean to Pixels. I just wanted to see what it would feel like to be evil, you know? So that's what I've been doing this week. Yeah, you but, know, yeah. a lot of people don't know how, how genuinely nice of a guy you are because, you know, on your blog, <laughs> on your blog, you know, you sound like this guy who's just got it in for everybody who says anything bad and, you know, you just <laughs> rate on it. But you're actually, you know, in, in, you're a very self-deprecating guy in person and just a real sweetheart. So, you know, just let's give it up for Rory. <laughs> yeah, so, so, now that, so now that Carl has said that, Rory, you can take the gun out of the back of his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so now it's the time in our show when we do a little segment we like to call the Google Weirdos. And Rory, why don't you tell the listeners what Google Weirdos is? All right, for the six people who don't know, uh, Google Weirdos is the segment that I do each week. And what happens is I've got a site, neopolian.com, and people get to it sometimes using this search engine called Google. Never heard of it. Never heard of it, yeah. And uh, I can actually go in to my referral logs and see what people entered as the search phrase to get to my site. Although a lot of the time they didn't really mean to get to my site. They meant to get someplace else, someplace better, cleaner, nicer, warmer, friendlier, and better. This is truly innovative radio here, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Nowhere will you find this kind of high-technology comedy (laughs) than right here at .NET Rocks. (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, so people sometimes mistakenly land on my site, and I like to go through and see what queries led people there. And as Google Weirdos has grown in popularity, some people have figured out that it's actually possible to contact me through Google. So they'll drop me a little one-liner note, and uh, I like to read those out. Those are the shout-outs. So typically I read the shout-outs to me, and then I read the actual queries, the actual Google search phrases. So starting out here on the shout-outs, we've got Rory Blythe should come speak, .NET user group in Raleigh, North Carolina. And let Mm. me tell you, you buy Rory a plane ticket... And Rory will go anywhere and say anything. All right, you Rory pay, you for pay, hire. You pay for Rory's hotel and for his food, and he'll go anywhere and say anything naked. All right, <laughs> so that's a deal. Another one is uh, Rory went to New York to learn Java, and I didn't. I didn't even go to New York, okay, because I was in the middle of having an allergic reaction to my stupid antibiotics, and I wasn't feeling one. I didn't get to go to New York, and a little bit mad about it. Okay, thank you very much. <sighs> Next is. Rory, my you're mom got, is... You're like the guy in the bedding barn commercial right there. What is that? <laughs> Just Jeez. a little bit of pent-up energy. I really crack? wanted to go to New York last get little, weekend. Get a little blow up your sleeve there? <laughs> and uh, so Rory... That's why you didn't want the drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to mix, you know, substances. Rory, my mom is on fire. Um, You know... <laughs> I'm just going to move along there, right? <laughs> I don't know what to do about that one. It's just weird stuff. We got another one. Rory, do you still read this? Well, I think the answer is self-evident. Um, the last shout-out is neapoleon.com is my narcotic. Ooh, That's awesome. That is awesome. That should go on a T-shirt. One more drug reference. Right. So those are the shout-outs. And I, I just do those because I get so many negative emails during the week from people telling me that I'm an idiot and a jerk that I need that little bit. I, I need the ego Band-Aid of the shout-outs, all right? So next... Um, Oh, wait, no. Here's another one. I like this one. I don't even write code, and I like neopolian.com. Nice. That's what I'm going for. You know, nice. I, want, I like to appeal to everybody, so I like to have a little bit of something for everybody. For Grandma, <laughs> too. My grandma reads it, and she likes it. Eddie Re- Recio says, Rory is using Jameis's crank 
I don't know what that means, Eddie. Yeah, I, I don't know what that means either. Um. Uh, they were talking about methamphetamine use ah, in the uh, in the chat room. I figured so. it was something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody in, said in the .NET Rocks chat room. Yeah. The Rocks chat room. Why aren't you guys there? <laughs> because of stuff like that, man. It's really gone down the tubes. The whole neighborhood just gone down the tubes. <laughs> Come on, I mean, look, you guys have been talking about smack and blow. Somebody talks about crack and or crank, and it starts bothering you. Uh, look, Come stop on. being smarter than us. All right, back in the sound room. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. All right, so moving on to the Google weirdos. That's that's <laughs> enough of the shout-outs there. First Google weirdo is, where can I go seal clubbing? <laughs> well, I don't like the seal clubbing alley next to the bowling alley. Sign up, get your shoes, head on down. And why would seal you clubbing. know that? <laughs> I mean, where can I go? How about prison? That's a good place to go seal clubbing, okay? Bastard. Freaking jerk. So here's another one. How can I get porn off my computer? And I can't tell you how to do that, but I can tell you that if you wait for WinFS to come out with Longhorn, I can show you how to organize it. (laughs) We we got another one here. It's how do you say happy birthday to you in French? And I can Mm. help you with that. It's bon anniversaire, chérie, je voudrais te baiser entre les jambes. Now that sounds a little bit more than happy birthday. What was that Yeah, for the people who speak French out there, I kind of, I colored that up a little bit. Moving right along. (laughs) We've got longest bird penis. Do they even have these? I mean, wouldn't that get in the way of like taking off? Hi, or- Mr. Hooper. <laughs> and once it hey, once it hits a certain Ernie and Bert. <laughs> no. Hi, Gordon. Man, and there goes the sponsorship. Next one, we got a, we got a real paranoid type out here in Google Land. Lyme disease Illuminati. Ooh, somebody t- somebody connecting the dots out there. Like you know. it's a it's a uh, conspiracy An Illuminati plot. Yeah. yeah, actually, you know what? There's some. Okay, all right, moving right along. <laughs> We've got Bad Bunny made me do it. What the <laughs> freaking hell is that? Who's Bad Bunny? <laughs> what kind of weird freak fantasy world do you live in, buddy? You know, <laughs> still going. <laughs> then we got th- this one's this one's weird. Okay, <laughs> antibiotics killing demon loins. <laughs> That's not what they're for. If you've got demon loins, you want to get some demon loin aside, okay? You don't want to just go hitting that with the antibiotics. Demon loin aside? How long did it take you to come up with that, Rory? Back in the sound back. room. Get back. Get back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You come out here and the average IQ goes up, Jeff, and it's, you know, the, the fun ratio closes. You should have me as a guest someday. Yeah, maybe we bloody well should. Moving along. Okay, this, one, this one's just as good as the antibiotics killing demon loins one, okay? Happy but underused Australian wanker made milkshake. <laughs> Did you find what you were looking for, buddy? Yeah. Say that one more time. <laughs> Happy but underused Australian wanker made milkshake. It's almost poetry, isn't it? You know. Oh my God! Holy shit! Somebody posted a link to an Environment in Nature magazine article. The title of which is "Found <laughs> the Longest Bird Penis Ever." <laughs> North American scientists have discovered the longest bird penis ever, a 42.5 centimeter organ belonging to a duck, <laughs> and they have a picture. A duck? They have a picture. Look at it, this. You know what, though? It, I don't think it belonged to the duck. It sounds like the duck Look probably belonged to the penis. The, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Look at this. <laughs> the male Argentine lake duck and his 42.5 centimeter penis. This is in a nature... It should be mounted on the wall, you know? This is stuffed and mounted. This is at abc.net.au. So this is this is ABC online here. What is this? Oh yeah, they should God. leave that kind of trash to us. They should be a bit more professional. Yeah, they think? should wear some ties. 
I think Me we thinks. should put a tie on that bird penis. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh god. Nobody heard that. All right, moving along. Here's the here's the last one. All right, this is the last one. Job interview questions for school dropouts. And I was thinking, can you mop too? Weirdos, 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 Oh my God. You're in rare form tonight, my friend. Well, I didn't sleep last night, so. Uh, too much. Vaguely aware of my existence. My limbs feel fuzzy and. Well, just for the you know the people who tune in to actually think this is a technology show, <laughs> thank you for letting us have a little fun before we uh, before we get to it. So now let's get serious. <laughs> yeah, serious. <clears throat> our guest uh, tonight, <sighs> our guest tonight is none other than the spectacular Kathleen Dollard. Uh, Kathleen has been developing business applications for over twenty years, programming in Visual Basic for almost ten years and working with .NET since the early betas. As an independent consultant, she's had the opportunity to work in a variety of domains, including the finance and justice sectors. Justice? We'll have to ask her about that. She's worked extensively with application code generation, and that's what she's all about. Yeah. And it's is the author of Code Generation in Microsoft.NET from APRESS. She's published numerous articles on a range of .NET technologies, including XSLT, Debugging, ADONet, and code generation. She is also a longtime Microsoft MVP since 1998, president of the Northern Colorado.net Special Interest Group, and is an active member of the Denver Visual Studio User Group. Good evening, Kathleen. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. How are you doing? Good. I'm I'm glad you stuck around through all that silliness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys are, are on a roll tonight. <laughs> well, we don't want to stop now. Yeah. We uh Okay. And uh, and thanks for for indulging us. Yeah, with a little silliness. Yeah. So, where are you calling from tonight, Kathleen? Uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Oh, beautiful! Is it a nice night out there? It is actually beautiful. I've got the window open, and there's a beautiful breeze coming in. Oh, that's great. Nice. That's great. So you're all about code generation. Well, I'm about a few things, but mostly code generation. Yep, that's, that's a lot of what I do. Yeah, you've really sort of dived, dove into that. Dived. Or dove. Dove in, actually. Dove into that topic. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know. We haven't, we haven't actually talked. We just mentioned in passing a couple of projects that we know that where people are doing some code generation on the show. And we've talked about declarative programming, but we haven't really talked about code generation. Let's, uh, let's just start at the, at the top. I mean, what's it all about? Okay. Well, the code generation that I do um, is application code generation because there's a couple of ways that we use code generation today. Microsoft is all over it. So when you're working in Visual Studio, you're doing code generation. But what I do is a little bit different than that. It's building parts of applications that are going to actually um, go out and be part of, of your application. So there are bits and pieces of that that we can code generate very effectively. So that's the core of what it's doing. Um, I, I do generate source code. And so then once you get the source code going, then everything downstream from that is what you're already doing. So mm. all the compilation and yeah. uh, unit testing, anything like that you're doing still works. All that stuff is good. So this sort of idea has been around for a long time, hasn't it? I guess they've been doing some of this in the Java community for a while? Yeah, it's actually been talked about for you know maybe 40 years or more. Um, I haven't actually done an exhaustive study, but you can certainly find comments about generating code going back a, a very, very long way. Um, th there's a couple things that have changed recently in the .NET world that make it better. And, uh, and Java's been doing it for a while. 
part of what came in is that um, the, the ability to derive classes from other classes does definitely helps the picture. There's some so, ways to incorporate handcrafted code because we still have to customize things. We still have a reason for existence. We still write code even when we're doing some code generation in the application. All right. So, so that works well. So you're talking about, and, and I'm sorry if I'm slowing you down a little bit, but uh, you're talking about using inheritance and code generation together so that you can, say, generate a base class and then off of that have, so some parts are already written, like base classes are already written, and then you're generating inherited classes off of those? Yeah, it's kind of a, um, good to think of it as kind of three layers. So you've got a base class okay. like you do today, and the base class does all the things it does today. And then a layer that's generated that takes care of things like the properties and, and common methods and things like every class you write probably has an update method. And, but it's not exactly the same between the classes. It varies, for instance, the way the properties are assigned to the parameters to get it back into the, into the database. You generate all that, um, which turns out to be quite a bit of most applications. Yeah. And then you can add on. You can kind of tack on in another derived class all that special calculation stuff that was the reason you were writing the application in the first place. Sure. And... Uh, what are you so obviously the whole idea is to save time and re repetitive coding, right? I mean right, that's basically right. what it's all about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Time so, and developer sanity. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the types of applications that lend themselves really well to this? Well, um applications that are heavily database oriented are good. That that's that's one good kind. Another good kind is when there's a lot of understanding of the application. I have a couple of clients right now that have commercial retail software that uh, they're wanting to update because they're in um, older languages. And so they're looking at some pretty major conversions that really are turning into rewrites for them. Hmm. Because they have such a good understanding in their application, they can dive in with code generation and get the yucky stuff done and then take these domain experts and have them stay focused on the... I mean, these are people that are very good programmers, but they also understand domains like um, financial stuff and... Uh, the way computers work together, these are the kinds of fields that they know well, where they can put those people right doing what they need to do, which is writing the, the guts of the application, the, the algorithms and other things that keep it going uh, for, the, for the, make the whole application work yeah. the way it's supposed to. So when, when you talk about code generation, now I'm kind of a code generation idiot, okay? Okay. Um, are you talking about like capital C, capital G, like there are certain methods and certain fixed ways of doing this, or is it more of like a lowercase c, lowercase g, where it really just gets down to code that writes code? Well, it can kind of be either one. I have, I have my own fairly strong opinions about really good ways to do it, but I also know that there's other people that do it other ways. Yeah. And so ultimately, a lot of what I'm about is looking at the bigger process, because however you spit that code out, there's a set of problems you still have to deal with to do it really well. And mm -hmm. so that's a, a lot of, of where I um, focus. Um, I, I kind of focus on the the process of putting together the person, the business, because there's still a human involved, and, and the template, which is the, the generated um, pattern that you're going to create. What kinds of, in your own experiences, in your own applications that you've written with code generation tools that you've written, what, uh, how much time have you saved? I mean, what's your like best story for, you know, we had an, an application that had to do such and such, we took these tools, zip, bam, boom, we got an app. Well, it's kind of tough because generally what I'm doing is taking an, an application um, that on paper is looking like it's going to take two years to do, and, and there's just no way they can spend that much time, the company can spend that much time. And we're lopping off like the first three to six months on that project. Wow. That's kind of more or less what we're doing. And so we're getting really quickly to the meat of it. That's what cogeneration does best. Now, there's some applications that 
there's not a lot of meat past that, and so the application can get done pretty quickly. But since it depends so much on the rest of the work, it's really hard to put right. a time estimate. How, how do you define, though, what the code's going to look like? Like you say that you're going to, you know, lop off that three to six months or, or whatever the time period is. How, I mean, there, there must be a lot of code that you have to write in order to lop that time off. And how do you define what's supposed to happen? And, and what, I mean, what's going on? See, this is where I start to turn into a code generation. Right, give us idiot, an example. Right? Yeah, it, it's so okay. interesting to me. So, yeah. Okay. Well, the basic pattern is that um, go into some sort of a source, sometimes UML or another primary self source, often the database, get a picture of what the application looks like so you know what the properties you're trying to create in the business object, do some mapping there. And then, so that code to get it out of the database is already written. So I've got that. You can download that with my book. And so, so that's for free. And then if you have some other backend source, you may have to do some work. And then from there, you've got that piece and you create a prototype, which is just a class that looks like what you want one of your final classes to look like. You take that and build a template from it, which I use XSLT for that. Um, and, and it's rare that template takes me more than an hour or two to write. And then you feed it into a harness, which, again, is something that I've already got written in, a, in available. There's other versions out there, too. And then you hit a button, and that part of your application you're getting the code out for. You still have to debug it, and you still have the rest of your application to do. I actually, Kathleen, as you're speaking, you're reminding me of an application that I wrote very early on when .NET came out, which uh, I used to create um, a class that was a wrapper around store procedures. Yeah. And so what I did was I created store procedures much like the data adapter does. Okay. But uh, I had, I had, I can't remember if I had written the stored procs already or it generated the store. I think it generated the stored procs from the tables and then wrote a class. And I, I did exactly what you just described. I made a, a text file, basically. I didn't use XSLT or anything. But I just wrote a class that had all the you know, the instance pieces out of it, like the name of the class and the names of the tables and the names of the fields, and I just replaced all that code. You know, I wrote one, basically, and then I went in and took everything that was specific to a table and just put a little tag in there that I could identify with another generator program. And so that's exactly what it is. So I loaded up the database, replaced, you know, the tags with the pieces of code. You know, it's a lot of string handling. And then yeah. generate spit out a whole bunch of classes that did the same thing for every table. So that that's kind of Kathleen, that's what I'm kind of getting at is is when what is there a difference between like code generation and what I mean that sounds like there was a lot of search and replace going on, right? I mean, what's the difference here? Where's well, that line? I actually use XSLT to do very much what um what Carl just described. Mm -hmm. And and he's right. That part's easy. Yeah. Um we you know, if I told you Rory just Go write a Hello World program and, and generate the code to do that. You'd be back in about 10 minutes with right. that. It's, it's not a hard thing to actually push the code out. That part's mm -hmm. pretty easy. Yeah, because I've, I've written code that writes code. Okay. But it, it sounds to me like in order to really save time, you almost... I mean, are we talking about code that's also going to spit out, you know, uh, rules and things like that? Or is this code that's going to... Well, I think the rules would be in the template, right, Kathleen? And well, then... The um, you can have some kinds of rules in the template. The templates can get pretty complicated. You also can do things like pull constraints out of your SQL Server, which is a set of rules out of mm -hmm. SQL Server, and you can, can move that into your uh, .NET code. It's a non-trivial process, but you can certainly do that. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out where it goes, like beyond search and replace, because that's it. That's almost what it feels like. It sounds like a very large, yeah, complex search and replace essentially process. Essentially, that's what it is, mm -hmm. except that. 
you know, that it has to keep in mind a finished product and it has to right. write things like project files and, and other stuff if you're going to pull it all together. And I suppose you could even go so far as to shell out to the compiler and make your DLLs, I suppose, right, mm-hmm. Kathleen? You absolutely can. And that's part of the harness that is going to be tying all these pieces together. So you've oh, got okay. something has to orchestrate the process because you may have 40 or 50 steps that are going on to build an application um, this way. And so you need sort of a script engine that orchestrates that all for you. What's cool about it is it's like common sense, what you would do when you program, just, you know, scaled so that yes. you're doing repetitive things that are being driven by data. So, yeah. It, and if I, I like to tell people that if they spend, you know, a quarter of the of time that they would spend writing all this code every time on writing the code that writes the code, right. they would yeah. spend a lot less time writing code. Right. And when you separate the engine that's doing the, the, this translation process for you, and again, I use an XSLT engine, but there's different ways to do that. But you can write that engine once and use it a thousand or a million times. Hmm. Your templates, what may change when you go right. from one application to the rest, and it's much easier to write. Yeah, yeah. So your engine is basically sort of like a multi-step process manager thing. It says, I'm going to start here. I'm going to move on to this step, and then this step, and then this step, and this step, and I'm going to stop here. Is that kind of how it works? Yes, it is. And it it knows how to do about a dozen different steps, Um, things like XSLT transforms across multiple files, because you can't just create one file and say you're done. You've got to create one class, and then you have to create the next class. And going through that process takes a little bit of code to drive it. Okay. So that's the engine does that. And and my my coder brain is kind of kicking in here, and I'm, I'm getting curious about how this works. So... Do you define things in terms of like a work unit that, that's sort of generic? Is there like some interface that you have in your engine that you can just hook into? Um, or, or is this something that's very specific to the process? I mean, how, how does this work? Um, it's a series of XML directives that I have an interface for. So mm-hmm. the interface just makes life a little bit easier. But under the hood, it's a series of different um, XML that say what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to accomplish it with. Mm-hmm. So, so can, Sweet. You, can you insert like an extra step into the engine if you need to then? Like without oh, much yeah. difficulty? Okay. And you can make your own step. For instance, I'm not supporting a build, but you could add a build. Right. And, you know, you could even, taking it to the extreme, you could look at the data on the fly, emit, you know, code, compile it, and then call it. <laughs> I mean, you basically... Yeah, if you <laughs> want to do that, I, I haven't had a need. <laughs> Carl's been drinking. That's pretty insane. I mean, you think about that. It's like, yeah, I think I'll just modify myself and unload this DLL, create yeah. a new app domain, load it up again, and, you know, if my code has bugs, I'll just rewrite it and, you know, load my... That's pretty insane, isn't it? Yeah. That's like, you know, data from Star Trek, you know, <laughs> correcting his subroutines. <laughs> I have an error in my subroutine, reprogramming. <clears throat> So, so another issue then is, you know, we've been talking about uh, projects that seem to be on the scale of months or years. I, I don't know why I just said months, like that's so surprising. I mean, yeah, that's actually yeah, pretty typical. Yeah, yeah. But we're talking about years, for example. So is there um, a point at which code generation is no longer practical in either direction where a project is either too large or too small? Hmm. I mean, obviously, you don't want to do hello world with, with code generation, but... Uh, I mean, is, is, do you have like a certain? How do you how do you know when code generation is going to be a good You'll know. step? You'll know. <laughs> You'll when know it's the right that. time, right? Stop well, that. <laughs> you know, if, if you've got ten parallel classes, then you're for sure going to get some payback. Uh-huh. On the high end, I, I don't think that there would be a high end. But on the low end, if you're only doing something twice, then you might not get a payback. 
But the question is whether you're ever going to use that pattern again in another application right. and whether okay. it's got more usage. Here's a great example. I've brought this up before on the on this show. Um, a friend of mine, Chris Hoffman from Hamilton Sunstrand, <clears throat> who took my class, he wrote a tool to shell out to uh, xsd.exe, which is what generates type data sets. Right. And autom- was automatically generating type data sets for the tables in his project and then compiling them into an assembly and... Uh, you know, so the whole issue of, you know, I have a type data set. When my database changes, I have to rewrite all that code. So that right. basically that's what he's doing. He presses a button and all his type data sets get regenerated automatically. So he's Yeah, I've, I've got, it's, it's cool because I've got five principles that, that I talk about that kind of make code generation work. And the third one is that you have to be able to regenerate any time with one click. And that's right. one of the things Microsoft did wrong. Um, one of many things they did wrong with a strong type data set. And that is that you can't regenerate your whole application with one click. So he fixed that. He found that problem and he fixed it, which is great. How do you yeah. deal though? Like, I mean, in the in the case of your friend there, Carl, the the, the data sets get regenerated, but what about the client the code, code that accesses yeah. them? Yeah, sure. So that's going to have to change. But it's a lot. You, you'd have to change that anyway. So you're just right. like Kathleen said. You're you're just chopping off time that you would have to spend a lot of time regenerating things. You could get sophisticated though yeah. and come up with some sort of a mapping. Sure. Well, no, okay, no. I just started thinking about yeah, it in my head and I was no. like, okay, getting a little complicated. Search and replace is your friend here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, although I actually do generate u- user interfaces as well. Hmm. It's hmm. harder. How, how do you do that? Well, to start with, I don't go for 100%. <laughs> right. um, you mean the idea is like you want to first approximate what it's going to be and then you go to massage it by hand? or Sure. Yeah, and, and that gets into the idea that some of the code in your application is generated and some is handcrafted. And the handcrafted application is really very sacred and, and important because that's what a human did. And right. in order to be creative, actually, humans don't tend to do the same thing exactly the same way twice. So if you do something and then you wait two weeks, you can't reproduce it the same way. So mm. we don't want to lose that that code. So I actually put a marker on every file as to whether or not it's a generated file or a handcrafted file, and the mm. way I do that is a hash. So if you open up a file and you make an edit to that file, then I automatically, the, the generator automatically knows that you did that. You don't have to do anything to tell it. And so it won't overwrite that because you're more important than the generator. So it uses this hash code that's just a hash of the co- file contents to manage that. It makes it pretty Another easy. Another drug reference here on .NET Rocks, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you hippies, you know. Wait, wait, hash, where, what? You, uh, you hippies are all alike, you and your hash. I know that, you know. It's, uh, so, <laughs> very, that's very cool. I've, I've also done things where I've created a simple form that has, like, the labels, you know, and the, and the text boxes and the code to bind the text boxes, you know, which is repetitive, busy code. Right, and then of course you go in and you you move them where you want to. You put them in the panels, or you put them wherever you need to. But the fact is, they're there, and you don't have to do that but stupid code every time. And, so yeah, and in the user interface, what I do is I use a, an actual three layer system. So I do the the layout in one class, the the plumbing in another, and then any customizations in a third. So you can go in and start moving things around in the layout class, and you've taken responsibility for that one class. But we can continue to generate the plumbing classes unless there's some other compelling reason that you need to make a change to that code. It's very cool. I'm, I'm, I'm confused again, though, just a little bit. I mean, what would, what would the code that defines the UI look like? Or the, or the, well, you've, you've seen UI code, right? Well, sure. But I mean more like 
what is the code that generates that look like? What's it doing? Is it is it grabbing just another? It's probably spitting code into the initialized component sub, right? But from what? From okay. From, from well, its... you guys are getting are getting your heads around this, and you're you're getting to the right questions and you know and the right right answers on this. Um, Set us free, mapping. Kathleen. Set us free. <laughs> okay. Well, there's another mapping, and so you and, and so there's a default mapping where if I have a data type like a date, well, then I know I want a date to be handled by calendar control. But maybe I want to use one calendar control and you want to use another. Oh, so there's okay. another XML file that defines how you map that. And then sometimes you're going to have one control that just needs something special. So you can say, well, this con- this particular control, I want to do something different. And there's a lot of naming um, that I rely on in that because I'm in control of the code. So I can say that a text box for this um, customer name field is going to be called TXT customer name, and I can rely on that, and the rest of the code can rely on it because I control it. So then does it also generate the code that does all, that, to do the data binding to the UI elements? Yeah. Yeah, that part okay. is pretty well, that's generous. getting pretty that's awesome. What I just said, man. Well, look, yeah. I, I didn't sleep last night. I told you that, but that is <laughs> that is pretty awesome. It's very cool. That yeah. isn't us, because because what I was thinking for a minute there was okay. So we're automatically generating the UI. Okay, my first thought is we have to supply that information from someplace, and we have to dictate some of the rules on how that's done. Then I thought, well, there's work there. So why don't I just do the UI manually? But if it's going to handle everything else and really do it as a package. That's good. Yeah, and I, I want you to use the visual edit, editor. That's that's a, that's one of the coolest things that we've got in our programming world. Right, so of course. We, we leverage that. I don't take that away from you. No, you make your templates. You start with the program, right? Yeah, you start with that, and then if you want to arrange them differently, go for it. Sure. You've just taken that one file and said, I'm taking responsibility for this. Yeah. And eventually, if you take responsibility for all your files, that's fine, but we keep a really clear line between what belongs to you and what belongs to generation. Okay. See, you're 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 clearing this up for me because when we started, <laughs> it's it's kind of like the between between being a coder and a software developer, right? Or or just like a hack and a software developer. Yeah. Somebody who can you know spit out a few lines of code here and there versus somebody who can take a project from start to finish. Right. Right. So when we started this conversation, I was thinking of code generation as Notepad F3, you know, search and replace <laughs> or Alt F or whatever it is, and uh, right. and I'm understanding that really it's a process. It's, yeah, it's not just the templating, it's the whole process. Right, and the templates are extremely rich because XSLT is such a fabulous, um, it's, it's such a fabulous text manipulation language that uh-huh. we're really manipulating tests with conditionals and loops and um, some pretty complex stuff sitting inside the, the template's power. Okay. So here's a scary question then. Um, <laughs> where has code generation ever gone wrong for you? I mean, have, have you learned anything where you looked at it and you thought, whoa, I'm not going to try doing that again? You yeah, know, you've like... gone down a tangent that just led you to the biggest brick wall and you said, what the f*** was I thinking? You, you, you know, I, I want to walk carefully on this one, but, but I am going to try to say this as, as well as I can. Okay. And, and actually, there's a really, I have a really good answer, an answer I like for that, and that is that people have a hard time understanding what to expect from it. Ultimately, it changes hmm. everybody's job. And it changes yeah. dramatically the ability to manage a project. And because so, your boss ooh. walks in and says, the computer wrote all this code. You're fired, You're buddy. Right. <laughs> you know, there's that and there's some, the manager saying that, okay, the first three months of the project we just did in, tenth, in one-tenth the time that ah, we thought. Huh. So, therefore, so how, the do whole, I, yeah. how do I tell my boss how long the rest of it's going to take? Right. Oh, good and so point. It's, it's an yeah. extremely difficult thing, and, and I'm still working on that. And as a result, what can happen is you can say, well, I think I'm two weeks from being done with this project for six or eight months. And, and that's a really bad thing. 
So yeah, that's yeah. my biggest answer to it. Wow. So to counter that, in terms of job preservation, we need something more like code degeneration. <laughs> you know, something that actually goes in and just messes things up and runs <laughs> off. You know, but no, that that uh. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm working on some alternate ways to manage code because we manage in tasks and tasks don't work and they didn't right. work before. But code generation just makes task-based programming completely go south. So I'm using some milestone-based programming with one client right now and some other ideas in terms of iterating to your your problem resolution, so tracking your defects basically, but running defects during development. So not having finished something is effectively a defect. And so that's those are some of the ideas I've got, but I certainly haven't run to the end of any of them. Hmm. I've got a buddy here on IM who's listening to the show. And in, in reference to the, uh, what do you tell your boss about the, we've just done three months of work in 10 minutes? He says, you lie. <laughs> just lie. <laughs> lie, lie, lie. Tell your boss lies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one solution. You know? um, yeah. And then that's one thing I screwed up in my book. So that's the other place I went wrong. Oh, okay. um, I, I did screw one thing up in my book, where, which I'm working on fixing. And it, it works in the book, but it's, it's, um, I did some object relational mapping based on XSLT, and, and it's a little too complex. And so I'm hmm. rewriting it right now. But object relational mapping is a problem. It's a difficult problem. Right. And I think it's important to have in code generation so that our mappings are correct. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to say that always and forever, our database and our business objects will match. That, that's not right. something I think we can say. Nor and, should and they, really. Nor, they shouldn't always match. Well, it's, that's a philosophical question. And <laughs> sometimes they should, I think, and sometimes Well, they that's shouldn't. what I'm saying. I mean, you can't... I, I'm really... Anytime I hear somebody say, it should always be done this way, I say, you're full of shit, because there is no always done this way. You yeah. Know? And, and people are always asking me in my classes and in email, you know, how do I, what's the, what's the best way to do this all the time? Or what's the only way? What's the way? Because you're the guru, you tell me. And the answer is always, you know, it depends. And they look at you like, yeah, guru, indeed. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and when I'm working with legacy, you know, the, the legacy stuff is really a trip because people, you know, that's where they've got a lot of investment and they don't yeah. want to change that because right. it's very expensive. And so I find out things I didn't even know. Did you know that you can put a slash in a SQL server table or column name or a parentheses? Of course we knew that. I didn't know that. No, I, did, I didn't know that. I mean, I'm <laughs> kidding. I had no but idea. It's scary to think you found that out in a client's data. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Wow. That's, I would not want to do that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, well, so, so you, Rory asked you what you know were the challenges. So it doesn't sound like you really had – there isn't any downside to this. So is there any – was there, let me ask you this. Was there any project that you spent more time doing code generation than it would have taken you to write it by hand? Or is I, that just a matter of experience? Well, yeah. Um, the first one, yeah. Because we, we, the sure. first code-generated project I did was a um, – I did it in brute force. So I was just pushing code out to a string. Yeah. Um, so that was the way I was doing it. And I had the, the creation of the metadata. Um, Carl, you talked about creating that text file before you started right. building. So I didn't create that text file as a separate step. It was all you know, tied up in the code, and I was okay. directly acting, asking the database for things when I needed it. Right. And then, as if things aren't going badly, this was a bad project anyway. I had lots of issues. Um, the, 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 we changed the mechanism for how we were doing it yeah. completely. And we went from using data sets to data readers, like oh. when we're supposed to be developing code. <laughs> 
And I said, I will not do this again because I don't trust these people. They'll change again. Yeah, so and that, that was necessity. when I, I made it very granular, and that has worked very successfully since then. And so, um, yeah, that one was kind of it was, and actually, you know, that ultimately that project failed. I, I don't. It, it was interesting because you know it was this. You know, we used code generation and it failed. But the funny thing about it is they went to use a different code generator, and the project's still not out. I mean, it was really a project that struggled because of management problems too. But it was kind of amusing because. You know, we 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 struggled with the code generation because our initial attempt was not going the right direction. Even though we generated a ton of code and got them far enough that they could test their performance issues fairly quickly, and then once they got to that, they decided they cared about the 20 millisecond difference, yeah. and they went on and and made this huge change that caused us to rewrite the code generator. Okay. Well, well, this leads into another question then. Um, I was in Borders uh, a while back. I think it was right after Is the that. Book some came kind out. of British underwear or what? <laughs> It's a Buckstar <laughs> national chain. They sell bagels and coffee. What was that coffee. thing you found last week? Wacky ticket? What the heck was those wacky, tacky Didn't underwear? Didn't I tell you I haven't slept? I, I can't be assaulted you with these that? sorts of strange <laughs> verbal accusations. <laughs> when I, when, when you ticky, said, tacky underwear. So when I don't you know said I was about. in Borders, I'm thinking, what is this? Some kind of long john or something? Uh, <laughs> European guys have these words for everyone. I'm from the west coast of the United States. I know, United but you're pseudo-European. I'm a wannabe. It's different. Yeah. All right. Okay. So anyway, I was in Borders, which yes. is apparently in underwear, and uh, <laughs> I, I was looking through the the computer books, and I and I came across your book. It was the first time I'd encountered it, and it's pretty thick, right? I mean, there's there's a lot to know about code generation, and I didn't see a lot of other code generation books on the shelves. Where did you get all this experience? Was it out there in the trenches where you encountered these problems and you just had to try and try and try and try? <laughs> or did you like lock yourself in a basement for six months and just generate code, generate code? How did you, how did you do this? What, what was a little bit of all. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit lazy and, and I have a short attention span and that really helped. <laughs> what? I'm lazy and what? have a short... Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I did spend... I did develop most of it myself. There is a lot of stuff in the Java world that I've learned now, but I did this work before I was working with the Java people, which was important to me because I wanted to build up what .NET did well. Mm. And so I did work, you know, I have worked on projects, and that's I, I did, you know, build for my first co-generation work. I didn't for most of the work for the book, but, mm. you know, we, we were building a project, and making that project work better was where most of it happened. Very cool. Well, Kathleen, sit tight because we're going to uh, take a break and listen to some music and pay the bills. And when we come back, we're going to uh, actually give Sunny Day a call out there in Maine. And uh, we may have a few friends stop by and tell some stories. And we'll keep talking about code generation. So stick around. Hi, Daddy. <laughs> and for the listeners out there, we're going to play the music from last week and the ads from last week. We'll clean it up for the uh, for the actual archive. Hey, Carl here. Well, we got to pay the bills and uh, just want to talk for a minute about what we're doing here at Franklin's Net. We uh, are currently going gangbusters with our summer schedule for VBNet and ASPNet hands-on week-long classes. And uh, we've observed a little trend here that more people are signing up remotely than are actually taking our classes in person. The remote, uh, the remote option is going over very, very well goes very smoothly we use a, a tool called ultra vnc which is like a way to broadcast a screen to multiple people 
full screen. And uh, it's worked out really well. So if you've got a bunch of uh, if you got a bunch of people in your group that you want to train, but you don't want to send them, and you don't have enough to do an on-site class, uh, just set up a conference room and a projector and an internet connection and a speakerphone, and you're off to the races. It's a lot of interactivity. Best part is that you get to interact with a class that's happening live. It's not offline stuff. It's interactive. And uh, that's going on now. Details at www.franklins.net. We've had a lot of success with it. I want to talk about Data Dynamics, our friends who've been sponsoring the show now for, geez, ever since uh, January, I think. And um, the reason that we uh, wanted them to be a gold sponsor is uh, we just love their products. And uh, in particular, ActiveReports.net. Like a lot of you, I've struggled with Crystal Reports, uh, its complexity, and, uh, you know, the fact that uh, the .NET version wasn't really .NET and, you know, it was .NET wrappers on top of com objects, which has the same old deal, hell, crappy issues. and um, So anyway, uh, we checked out ActorReports.net. We heard a lot of good things about it from our students and from other regional directors and MVPs and things. We checked it out, and man, it rocks. What's great about ActorReports.net is that you can design your reports, and they exist with your application. You don't have to go on some other server. You don't have security issues. They just get wrapped in your assembly, and then they get... They get launched and they get run. And you can use reports in a Windows application or on the web. And those reports on the web show up as HTML or, or PDF, Adobe uh, Acrobat format, or just a plain old text. And uh, couldn't be easier. And all great features that you'd expect from reporting. That's at www.datadynamics.com, actorreports.net.
back from the break. Thanks a lot. Hey, uh, Rory, a friend of ours, I just got word, has called us, called the studio to say hi. Yeah, who? It would be none other than Sunny Day. Sweet. Yes, sir. Hey. Hey, is that you, Cal? Hey, yeah. How you doing, man? Well, awesome, awesome. Jesus, what a beautiful time, you know, time of year over here in in, in Maine. You said beautiful. Nice up there, huh? You got the sun down there? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> probably not. Probably as much as you do, but well, we've just blazing today. I'll tell you that. So a lot Although of people started off wicked windy. It was so windy, I think I had whitecaps in my toilet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of people know you, or maybe they don't, but you're a good friend of ours, and and you've helped us explain some computer programming concepts in our videos on our on our Franklin's Net website. That's right, like objects and and synchronized. Uh, Asynchronized programming, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that, all that heavy stuff. Yes, sir. So, what's on your mind, man? Well, I, I, I went out and filled my gas tank today, and and I, you know, I, I think I spent about, I don't know, buck two fifty just to just to fill it up, and uh, uh, I was just wondering, you know, how how's the gas down there? 
and, and you know it's kind of it's kind of so so it's sort of it, it, it's not quite as good as it is back on the west coast and here you have to pump it yourself oh you do is, yeah. yeah which yeah. sort of you a have problem full for service me. in the yeah we got full service although um it's it's wicked expensive here uh but i i went in and and there was this guy kind of had a hearing you know over over on the uh washington avenue here in in, in maine in hmm. portland and I, I asked him you know to if, if he had a restroom and he thought I said, apparently he thought he said, I, I said, whisk broom. <laughs> he went in and, you know, I paid for my gas. He got change for me and he came back out. He says, I looked all around the place. I can't find one, but you back it there, back it up in the bay and we'll blow it out with an air hose. <laughs> and all I wanted was a restroom. You know? Well, I know the, I know the price of gas is really expensive here. And in fact, I hear nothing but complaining from people I know about the price of gas. Hey, let, let me just, let me give you a little perspective here. I've been thinking about this. I'm writing down some facts here. Did okay. you know that, like, I went in the, in the Hannaford uh, food market, you know, and, and did you know a diet Snapple, 16 ounce uh, a, a bottle of diet Snapples, a buck 29? Hmm, wow. So, you know what that puts out of the gallon? $10.32 for a gallon. Yeah, we could just figure out how to run our SUVs on Diet Snapple, right? Yeah, well, that's wicked. Somebody expensive. be making now, listen, some big money. Lip, simple thing like Lipton iced tea. Right. 16-ounce thing that you buy, you know, in a little bottle. Buck 19. That's huh. $9.52 a gallon. I figured this out. Wow. Hmm. Now, so that sort of sort of puts it in perspective. You're yeah, pulling the well, doors wide open on this thing. Spray thing. About similar thing, but the brake fluid. That, now, if you ran your car on brake fluid, 12-ounce bottle brake fluid cost three fifteen. Wow. Three bucks fifteen cents. Now that's about thirty three dollars and sixty cents per gallon. Jeez. That's outrageous. Yeah, that's wicked expensive. That's too much. Yeah, it is too much. But get this. Uh <laughs> whiteout. <laughs> you know, if you if you happen I had some whiteout in my in my desk drawer and I and I pulled it out and just imagine Running your car on whiteout, seven ounces cost a buck thirty nine. That wow. puts it at twenty five dollars and forty two cents per gallon. I'm freaking outraged. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to do that. Now you think that's bad. What about Pepto Bismol? <laughs> yeah. Check this out. Four ounces of Pepto Bismol cost three dollars and eighty five cents. You know what that put? That would put you at a hundred and twenty three dollars <laughs> twenty cents per gallon. So you don't want to be running. Your 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 car on on Pepto Bismol. <laughs> Even Scope Scope mouthwash, one and a half ounces costs ninety nine cents. That's eighty four dollars and forty eight cents per gallon. Now that has some alcohol ish gasoline like materials in it, doesn't it? In mint. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in mint. So you would actually the emissions would be nicely smelling. It would smell <laughs> nice. Right. Yeah. And the worst one of all that I found out was Vicks NyQuil. <laughs> yeah. You know, check this out. Six ounces of Vicks NyQuil cost cost me $8.35 in the market, you know, in the food market. Wow. But, and that, that, that prices out to be about $178.35 per gallon. And your car would just fall asleep all the time. It's it not even very high octane, out. really. Yeah, you couldn't get it out of sleep mode. <laughs> So I'm just telling uh, you, the next time you're at the pump, you know, be glad your car doesn't run on water, scope, or whiteout, or God forbid, Pepto Bismol or Nike. Water? <laughs> now I thought yeah, water, water. I thought water would be pretty cheap, actually. I, I can get well, some e cheap Evian water. Well, water. Get this: nine ounces cost almost a buck fifty. That's about twenty-one dollars and nineteen cents per gallon. Oh my I mean, god! Can you imagine twenty-one dollars so, and nineteen cents just for so water. So gas is cheaper than water, is what you're saying. Wow. 
I mean, so should I be drinking think gas? Of all those things, you know. <laughs> Next time you're at the pump, just just think. Yeah, about well, things. that's something to think about. I, do you, Sonny? Do you spend most of the day thinking of things like this? Uh... Well, occasionally, I, you know, my 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 brother thinks that uh, you know, isn't it, Junior? <laughs> um, for those of you who who don't know, I was I was born in Maine, and 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 they, my parents named me the first thing they saw when I was born. You know, it was a wicked nice day out, so they looked outdoor and they said, sunny day. So you understand, my sister's name is Misty Morning, and my brother's name is pretty damn cold out, isn't it? <laughs> but it's, we call him Idnit Junior because he's named after my father, Mighty Frigid. Anyway, so you get the idea. So my brother, um, uh, what were we talking about? Right? <laughs> Just the things sorry, that sorry, you sorry, think that's about. CRS again. disease. It's CRS disease. Yeah. Can't remember shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is uh, what's happening out at Moody's Diner? What's the traffic like out there? Oh, geez, I'm that, they're backed up bumper to bumper from 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 Moody's Diner all the way down to, to like Brunswick, Maine. I'm telling yeah. you, it's a hot spot, especially around five o'clock. I hear the old that people, there's... you know, the older folks over fifty. Yeah. Uh, they they try to get there early. Yeah. They try to get there around 4 o'clock to beat the rush. So you you got to get there around 3 o'clock just to beat the, 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 the rush. Just to beat the geezers. That's right, beat the geezers, the old geezer uh, syndrome. Well, but uh, I'm telling you, uh, it, it's really a, just a beautiful day here in Maine, and I wish you guys could be here. Yeah, well, we wish we could be there, too. We wish we guys could, too. You know, Rory's from the other Portland, Portland, Oregon. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. yeah how How is it out there? Well, it's kind of like a mirror image of your Portland. Everybody's oh. evil, has a goatee. <laughs> it's the anti-Maine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I know <clears throat> I know you're not pushing my leg on that because I've been out there once. Pushing uh, it. <laughs> I'm, yeah, so, no, I'm sorry. That's matter of fact, on my in, way Portland, out. In the other Portland, we say pulling, so there's one of those mirror differences right there. Yeah. Oh, I Pushing, see, pulling, yeah. yeah. Well, I went flying once. I, you know, I, I flew out to, I don't know, must have been Rochester or something. And on my way back, they sent my luggage to Portland, Oregon. You know, oh. I just wanted to Portland, Maine, but they said, you know, they send it to Portland, Oregon. So the next flight I took, I said, I, said, I have three pieces of luggage. I want you to send this one to Portland, Oregon, this one to uh, Waco, Texas, and this one over here to Mobile, Alabama. Said, we can't do that. I said, what do you mean? You did last week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you. We gotta we gotta get back to the yeah. show. But hey, listen. oh, okay, yeah. Sorry. Thanks for dropping by. Yeah, thanks, man. Always well, great. Thanks to for talk calling. To Good to meet you, Rory. And, yeah, it was and... nice to meet you. Okay, man. We'll catch All up right, with see you, you later. Cal. See you later. Bye. Bye. Well, anyway, um, a friend of ours has stopped by and uh, paid us a visit. Um, a friend of Kathleen's and a friend of ours, Don Kylie, from up north, way up in Alaska. Hey, Don, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. The best part of all is that uh, mud season has finally come to an end. Mud season. Mud season, yeah. It's the only time that I really don't mind leaving Fairbanks. Huh. So, Kathleen, you know Don. Don, you guys know each other, right? You've, you're both MVPs. You both hang out, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don was a huge help on my book. He was uh, went through all the code and used it in a real project, and that was all pretty cool. And I want you to know, Kathleen, that I've forgiven you completely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't forgiven you for not talking me out of it. <laughs> I tried. I tried, remember? Yeah, yeah. Half-heartedly. <laughs> Where in Alaska are you from, Don? Uh, Fairbanks. Pretty close to the geographic center. Civilization, actually. Not northern exposure country. Uh, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, given that northern exposure shrunk Alaska down to the size of about... 
Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, twisted other truth. But it was great TV, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was a very compelling show that that we laughed at quite a bit. <laughs> Do you have any neighbors like Ruth Ann or Holling or any of those people? Well, you know, I hang out with the dog mushing community a lot, and I've found that, that as a random group of people, there are some pretty interesting folks there, yeah. both appearance-wise and temperament-wise. It's not your, not your inner suburban Walmart crowd. No, no. Yeah. Although it disturbs me that, that you say that, because um, our Walmart just opened on Wednesday. Oh, man. So, and people were going gaga over it, which just repulses me to no end, but oh well. So, Don, do you have a beer? No, I don't. Oh, well, we'll wait while you get one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, can, can I do something stronger like vodka? It sounds like this, t- this particular show, I need something like that. That would totally be or if you want to brew your own with corn and wallpaper glue, that's... <laughs> that's your at some point, wise. Kyle, I have a great story about McCallum's okay. um, to, to tell. But Why don't you just go later. ahead and tell it right now as I sip my Sam Adams Boston Ale that Joe Grenier bought a six-pack of, and he's in the, in the studio with us. Oh, really? You're not doing whiskey anymore? No, I, I had... You, well, you can't do scotch. I mean, you have a bit, and then you put it back, you know, because it's expensive. So you don't <laughs> you don't do it. You just nip it. And so beer is the the drink of the rest of the night, anyway. Ah, uh, okay. So what's your McAllen story? Well, the, the the slightly abbreviated version of it is that I was in Scotland um, a few years ago, which I'm a quarter Scottish, so. I was taking a train from Edinburgh up to Inverness. So you shop for vodka at Walmart, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it had this nice, nice little like uh, uh, played, as they say it, played label, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, um, the first half of the, the the journey on the train, I sat across from a very nice young lady from Brazil who did not speak English, and I did not speak Portuguese. So we entertained each nice. other by explaining, you know, telling each other about each other's country, which was quite amusing. Mm, mm, mm. But the second half of the, of the trip, I had to change trains. I sat next to this, this older lady who was a published poet who was returning from Glasgow. Uh, she had just done a, a reading of her poetry. And so it was great. She was raised in the Inverness area. She told me about a lot of the politics in the area, and, and we were passing through towns and found out that I love to walk and hike and said, oh, this town is great. You don't want to stay in town, but there's some great ridges and stuff. And I made the, the very silly mistake of admitting to a Scottish person that I could not stand the taste of, of whiskey. Oh. <laughs> and so um, then they got to gotta convert you. Well, what she did is is she told me, okay, well, obviously you have not had the right kind of right, scotch. Sure. And so it, she, what she said was, I want you, you know, before you, after you're done touring around Denver this afternoon, I want you to, before you leave, to go in a pub, and I want you to order McCallum. Mm. And it's, I forget how she described it, but it has this, this uh, rich taste. cognac kind of thing. What's that? Like cognac almost. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, in oak and this special kind of wood or whatever. And Some so, other stuff. So I said, <laughs> He's definitely from Alaska. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we, we just used the, the steel drum out back. <laughs> but so, so, okay, I said, all right, I, I believe you. And I, I promised to do that because, you know, she was a very, she had shared a lot of information with me. And it was the very least I could do to mm-hmm. stop and have a drink for mm-hmm. her. And so I had a great visit to Inverness, didn't see Nessie or anything like that, and stopped at a pub. There was this little smoky pub near the, the train station before I headed back down to, to Edinburgh. And I went in and I ordered it. And it cost the equivalent of about 10 U.S. dollars 
for what seemed in this little glass to be about maybe four drops. It's really <laughs> expensive. Yeah. And I what year, so, how many years old was it? I mean, there's a whole bunch. Oh, of I don't recall. Brands. I don't recall. I, I I believe that brand is usually pretty old. Well, you have twelve, you have eighteen, and you even have like fifty or something. I mean, it goes up. I don't recall. I don't 25. recall. Really? Yeah. 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 Oh. Well, maybe I should have had some of the twenty-five twenty-five year stuff. But uh, so I, I sat in the booth and I I sipped it in the smoky pub in in Inverness and sipped it slowly, considered every sip and and washed it around in my mouth and savored it as best I could. Like a true Scotsman. That's right. That's yeah. right. Just listening to all this wonderful Scottish brogue around me. Right. And could you not got in the mood and just ate a haggis, didn't you? <laughs> that was a couple days later. Stop yeah, but... the haggis first. <laughs> Which is actually pretty good. Okay, okay uh, moving along. Moving right along. Sorry, I don't go for oatmeal in a sheep's stomach. That's hated just... scotch. Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. Like like haggis, 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 haggis. Oh my god! <laughs> Jeff, like hang up on this yeah. man. <laughs> so, okay, so all my credibility has just gone into the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> so you like the haggis better than the scotch, basically? I did. Hmm. I did. Wow. Well, okay, so let's talk about some computer stuff then. Yeah, eh? shall we? <laughs> by okay. the by. Don, I, I have a story. I'm sorry, Kathleen, because I know we have a lot more to talk about. But um, I remember at, at, Dev, at a Dev Connections, we did uh, uh, this panel, sort of like a Midnight Madness kind of panel, where the audience just asked questions. And it was a game show. Uh, it was sort of like a game, like a the, we had two teams, and you were the leader of one half of the table, and Bill Vaughn was the leader of the other <laughs> half of the table. You remember this? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, and you and you basically had to, you know, answer the questions right on your team and the more people who so you guys were falling behind, right? And you were you had brought up your team to a tying vote and and Bill was being just his usual self, right? Yeah, so, I, I, I was about ready to go over and and we were going to start whooping chest. Well, that's basically what happened. <laughs> so you so you basically got this really arcane, really excellent question right. And and they got it wrong, and you stood up and yelled over the table, "In your face, Vaughn!" <laughs> <laughs> and Bill stands up with a defensive posture, like, "Oh yeah, you want to step outside?" <laughs> oh, the, oh my god! One of my wiser decisions was not to step outside. <laughs> I, I suspect Bill could whoop my butt. <laughs> this is what programmers do for fun, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Geeks Try to Talk. <laughs> But I was quite happy that my team won. Yeah, boy, that was fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so, uh, so what's what, you? So you worked on this code generation book with Kathleen, mm-hmm. and you were actually putting some of these things into practice. Had you done any anything like this before you started uh, reading this book? No, not really. I, I had kind of been bouncing, or Kathleen had been bouncing various ideas off of, off of me for a while before this. Before I, I completely got it. And I, I've played around with some of the commercial code generators and, you know, some of the tools like that. But I always sort of felt like I was in a straitjacket because there really wasn't any flexibility. I had to buy into their framework. I had to buy into their way of doing things. And so I never really found one that, that worked all that well. Hmm. So I, was, I was certainly conceptually excited about the idea of, of being able to, to customize it fairly simply, particularly since I know XSLT fairly well. Yeah, and so I, I wasn't scared of that part of it. I know that some of the comments that I've I've seen from people is that, gosh, don't know XSLT, and so yeah. this is really hard to plow through this kind of stuff, and and it is so worth it. 
And I'm just absolutely amazed at the brilliance that Kathleen exhibited by by taking XSLT, which I, I never in a million years would have thought had anything to co- do with code generation, yeah. and applied it to .NET code, taking advantage of a lot of the features of the .NET framework and so forth. That's cool. Really pretty amazing. So you do... Do you, do you use this code like that you picked up from this book to do projects now? Is this yeah. like become part of your arsenal of tools? Yes. I, I was Kathleen's first, and I don't know only, but for, first so far, uh, pure guinea pig. Wow. And it was an extremely painful process, but the only reason it was painful is that I was both tech editing the book and working on doing the, applying the code generation as she was evolving things, when things weren't completely done. Um, and, and so I think we both learned a lot about the process, but I'm still working on the project. In fact, I just uh, delivered a new build on it yesterday um, to the client. It's a state agency here in, in uh, Alaska. And, um, you know, it, it just blows me away that if I make back-end database changes, really the only thing that I need to make a change to is my UI. Hmm. I, I just regenerate my middle tier I reapply some business rules if there's anything specific that applies or, or modify them if, if uh, anything specific applies to the tables or the, the parts of the schema that changed in the back end. Yeah. And then I just re- regen the middle tier. And I haven't looked at the total lines of code in the middle tier. I know, Kathleen, at one point you had me run that, that utility. But I did the other day look at the, the number of lines of T-SQL code that I have for, for SQL Server to SQL Server back end. And it was uh, something like 13,000 both CodeGen and my custom uh, uh, T-SQL code. So it's really pretty amazing that all of that is, or a good portion of that is, is regen, and I don't know how many thousands of lines of, of, uh, of VB.NET code. Are you, um, are you still generating parts of you, your user interface, or are you uh, handcrafting all of that now? No, I'm still, well, there, there are several forms, particularly things like lookup forms that are just like list of, of cities around the state of Alaska that, that are part of a drop-down list, and and uh, address types and contact types and things like that. Those are pretty much all still the, the raw genned UI form. But then what I've done is generally what I do is I'll take the form that, that Kathleen's, well, it, it, I've modified some of the templates in some ways, but that are generated by the, the code generation, and then I use that as a starting point. So all of the text boxes are there, the list boxes are there, the code behind them is to, um, that populates the list boxes from the database is all there. And then I start rearranging things and applying business logic and, and various other uh, UI customizations. So I'd say that probably about maybe half of my forms are pure cogen and the other half are, are I've gone way beyond that just because they had to be customized. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's does, really pretty amazing. Kathleen, how does it feel being uh, an innovator? I mean, that's I kind of truly... like it, you know. It's, it's been a lot of fun, really. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been it's been stressful at times too, though. It's it's you know, writing the book was a very long year. It seems like in order to go down that road, you really have to have a lot of con a confidence in your abilities to finish the job, you know, because you got to think about it. I'm going to spend a lot of time writing code that writes code. And that's time that I can't spend writing the code by hand. Well, and so you see, yeah. right? Don't you think? Like somebody really has to have a lot of confidence in their ability to finish it. Otherwise, they might think, uh, you know, I'll probably end up never using it anyway. And don't you, you know, think? I think that's true if you're looking at the, at like just doing the whole thing for every project. But what was so hard about the book and, and what I worked so hard on 
is creating some fundamental pieces that you can reuse. I mean, if you're working from a SQL or an Oracle database, you have to do a little tiny bit of work for Oracle. But for SQL, you get your data, for, you get your metadata out for free, and that's everything SQL Server knows. So that's already done. So by breaking these up to these granular pieces, there's a lot of the work now that's already done. And so Don had to change some templates, but he didn't have to worry ever about the script processor or about some of the other pieces that are going on behind the scenes because that only has to get done once and anyone can use it. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm talking about the person who's never done it before. You know, the 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 non you know the non Don Kylies of the world. Uh, you know, people who are who spend their time writing code over and over again. You know, if you're going to go down the road of code generation, you sort of have to feel like you know you're not wasting your time. Yeah, mm -hmm. what I suggest is that people start out with their stored procedures because if you're doing CRUD stored procedures, then that's really it's it's easy stuff to generate and start there and build a little bit of confidence and then work off prototypes so you know what you're building. Trying to build off a template is something I don't even do. I build a prototype first and then I copy that into XSLT and start doing the kind of token replacements and looping that you need to get the job done. Yeah, Carl, as a practical matter, even if you use some of the, the templates and, and uh, techniques that uh, Kathleen has done just to generate the stored procedures. Because you, you have the, the creds, right. basic stored procedures. It just saves so much time, and then you have it all right there, and then you can customize them. And it's not enough time. using a wizard like the you know this data adapter wizard, which only does one table at a time, because you still got to do every table. Right. right. What you really want to do is take that times every table and go. Right. right. Yeah. And I have, in this particular application, I have something like 75 tables, and all of the basic stored procedures were there. And then if I wanted to later then build on that to do the middle tier, fine. You may or may not want to do the user interface because that's so customized, but uh, um, just using it for, for the stored procedures in the middle tier is going to save you tons of time. You know, not, not to turn this into like a political discussion, but something that's kind of interesting about this is you really make yourself much more valuable to your customer when you can get the work done this quickly. And, I mean, in a day and age when people are kind of worried about losing their jobs or not getting that contract or the work being offshored, you know, it sounds like a pretty good proposition. And somebody also brought up in the uh, in the chat room that you know code generation isn't supposed to to kill jobs, right? You know? It's supposed to make you more valuable. Well, it's part so. of this jobless recovery thing where you're simply supposed to get better at yeah, what you do, right. so that things get better, people make more money, but right. we don't necessarily add jobs. So, well, that's what Kathleen was that's what Kathleen was saying was right. that I think you know just to support your point, Roy, yeah. that uh, you know it's it's kind of a weird kind of thing to, right. to talk to managers about. And as a practical program. matter, how many times do you want to write the code that creates a, a data adapter that loads the <laughs> yeah, data that the code? Absolutely. I mean, how many, how many thousands, hundreds of times do you want to do that for a particular project? Right. You know, that's the boring stuff. Let me, the nice thing about, about doing this for this project is that I get all the, the repetitive stuff out of the way. I write it once, put it in a template. It's done in there. It's generated for however many objects I have. And then I get to write all the interesting, fun business rules, implementation, um, all the cool stuff that's part of the application. Right. It, and, it's my belief that actually code generation is going to have, a, you know, this is just my perspective. It's going to put more people back to work than they lose their job. And the reason is that I think that the money that is out there, but what's not out there is management's trust. We have not done a very good job in general in applications, and it's very difficult for them to set aside a half a million or a million dollars for 
development when they don't know what they're going to get from it. If they know what they're going to get, I think there's a lot of projects out there that we haven't done because we keep redoing the same mission-critical projects every four years. Yeah. And if we can get out of that cycle, then I think there's going to be more jobs, at least for a, at least for a long time, at least for the next couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Well, in a way, yeah. I mean, I can kind of see how that would be tough, too, because a lot of managers have probably looked at human coders come in and foul things up, and now somebody's coming along and saying, no, look, I wrote some code that'll write the code. I mean, they're probably going to be looking at that with quite a skeptical eye, especially if they don't understand the process. And I mean, I'm a coder, or at least I like to think I'm a coder, and until about one hour and 37 minutes ago, I really didn't know much about code generation except a little bit of tinkering I had done. So that that seems like it'd be sort of a tough battle at times. And then once the, once the code is there, then it's so much more maintainable. Let's say you find that you screwed something up in security and you have something that you realize that you've done in every one of 150 or 250 forms that just isn't right. Well, if that's in the plumbing side of it, there's a good chance you generated it. And if you did, then you're going to be able to fix that across your entire application very, very quickly and get it rolled out to your users. So the picture in terms of the long-term viability of the project becomes much, much better. And that's another thing I think that managers are going to really like about using this pattern. They will still have a good application three or four years after it's deployed. As a practical matter, one of the big benefits, too, is that if you have a a basic framework that you use, either something that you've gotten from somebody or um, uh, there's several good ones out there or you've developed in-house, it makes it so much easier to apply that framework consistently across multiple projects as well. So you can you can plug in your own infrastructure code into this whole process. Well, Don, uh, thanks for stopping by, and uh, I'm sure you'll go enjoy your vodka now. I shall. And your six months of sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're Before almost at 24 hours of sunlight. And, wow. And <laughs> I will see you at Dev Connections in November in Las Vegas, my friend. Can't wait. Absolutely. Sounds good. Oh, does that mean I got sessions? Oh, you always get sessions. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you. All right. Take care, you guys. Hey, thanks. Bye. All right. Well, uh, now it's time in the show when we do a little segment we like to call the Linux Vulnerability of the Week. Hello, Mr. Bull. Let's you and me fight. <laughs> and uh, just to let the listeners know what this is all about, we uh, we like uh, Linux. We like people who program in Linux. We don't have anything against Linux, but uh, we have noticed some zealotry on the part of the Linux community, which uh, where people are stating and putting up websites to the effect that uh, Microsoft has Windows has bugs and Linux does not, and Linux does not crash and Windows crashes, and that's one reason why you should always use Linux. Uh, so we just like to give equal time to the uh, Linux vulnerabilities that exist, and they come up and they get posted every week. And there's always something in there about buffer overruns, which are probably the most heinous kind of vulnerability, probably the most common kind of vulnerability, and I might add the the biggest reason why you should use managed code is because you don't have buffer overruns, you don't have memory leaks and things like that with a managed with managed code. Uh, so this week's Linux vulnerability is a Mandrake Linux security update advisory. In uh, The problem is several vulnerabilities in Midnight Commander were found by Jacob Jelinek. These included several buffer overflows as well as a format string issue and an issue with temporary file and directory creation. Most of the included fixes are backports from CVS done by Andrew somebody and Paul somebody else. Don't know who they are, but there you go. 
And uh, this was posted on April 29th, which was actually last week, 2004. And there you go. That is the Linux vulnerability. Hello, Misty Boo. Hello, Misty Boo. Let's you and me fight. <laughs> so, so I just wanted to say, in light of the Linux vulnerability of the week, one good thing that happened this week that's very good is the Mono Beta One release. Yes, yes. So Mono Mono just came out this week, the Beta One release, and it's looking pretty good. It's looking pretty cool, and I'm excited because I'm finally going to get like a full implementation of .NET that I can install on my Mac and yeah, and yeah. compile and run and play with. Um, I'm not going away from the Microsoft done it. I'm just excited that I can use it on all my computers now. I'm excited, too. Yeah. I, it's a very cool thing. It's, and I want to go in there and see how they did this stuff, too. I'm very curious to see what's under the covers. Mm-hmm. It's going to be pretty cool. So We uh, yeah. we, we want to have Miguel on the show. Miguel, if you're listening, give us a call. Yeah. And uh, we don't have any way to get in touch with you. I suppose I could find you somehow, but... Uh, uh, somebody, a common friend Friendster of ours, or something. <laughs> a common friend uh, did mention that he would email you and uh, tell you that we were interested in having you on the show. So we do, Miguel de Acasa, we do want you to come would on be and, very cool. and talk about it. Okay. And I think our listeners would really like it too. So uh, Kathleen, getting back, to, uh, getting back to talking with you, I know we sort of stepped aside and talked with Don a bit, but um, – I want to bring up something that happened, oh, a couple of months ago where you wrote some – you had an issue of – you dominated an issue of Visual Studio Magazine a few months ago. You had like three articles in there and, and, and all sorts of great stuff. It was great. And there was an article in there where you were basically making the assertion that um, Microsoft isn't doing much to help the hobbyist programmer. This is how we met Kathleen. Well, Carl and I knew each other. Yes. How Rory met me. And by hobbyist program, you mean the, you know, the the accountant who needs to write a program to glue his accountant files into his Excel spreadsheet or, or something like that. Just people who are non-programmers who want to write little programs that they may run, you know, every week, every once a day, once a week, once a month to to do the little things that automate their lives. They're yeah. not programmers. Yeah. And it's your assertion that, you know, by raising the bar with VB.net, really Microsoft took away what was a very easy language, entry-level language for the hobbyist programmer. Well, I want to change that around just a little bit because, we, you know, we still have VB6 if that's the right language. The problem is the world changed and it's not the right language anymore. Yeah. And yeah. the new languages are, are pretty darn hard for that. Um, and I, I think Microsoft is, is going the right direction, but I think we just need, need a, a bigger, bigger jump there. Although I'd like to say that the reason I wrote that article, which, which sometimes kind of got lost to people, was that I think that they're getting cut out. And right. what that means is that we have more and more time that's having to go to just keep up. Well, sooner or later, that gets me in trouble because sooner or later, I don't have time to keep up either. So it's really the trend there that, that's kind of troubling that we're spending more and more time just trying to keep up with what's already out there. And where's that going to put us in another five or ten years? Are we going to be spending 25 hours a week training? Well, that's not going to work. And is that going to really slow down the technology uh, trend that we've had over the last couple of decades? Well, to be fair to Microsoft, they are making a huge .NET investment. If you look at Longhorn and uh, the way things are going to be built, um, .NET is definitely going to be the way of the future, for at least for the Microsoft camp. Yeah, and I, and I think that it's um, that we're in really good shape in terms of what they're trying to do at the high end, um, in terms of you know helping to satisfy some of the, the people that work full-time in this. Um, I think we're in real, we got beautiful stuff. I, I yeah. love what we've got to work with. 
But if you're only doing this four hours a week, it's pretty tough to keep up. So you think they ought to come out with another language that's sort of dumbed down? Yeah, well, I, I actually would like, I would like, I would love to be able to work on a project myself, which which I don't have time to do, to um, take code generation and and create a tool that takes care of a lot of the grungy stuff that still has to be in a .NET program, even with the would-be improvements in VB, and uh, yeah. kind of creates an, a new um, language that's more like where VB6 was, because we were at a point with Windows when, I'm um, not VB6, I'm sorry, v, the first versions of VB, where Windows was too complicated for anybody except a hardcore C++ programmer. And VB came on the scene and made it possible for anybody to program. And I think we've just kind of run through a whole other cycle, and it's time for that kind of language um, to come out in the next few years again. You know, I would, and, and you probably already know this from, from reading my blog and my response, um, I would probably argue with that a little bit in the sense that I actually think that VBNet is easier than VB6 because, to me, it's more consistent. It's more straightforward. And you mentioned the Whidbey improvements. I think especially where Whidbey is concerned, VB is coming back to where it was, you know, a little while back. I mean, like with the My Name space, for example, which is featured right. in this month's MSDN magazine. Right. There's some great stuff in there. Or, it the, is. I mean, or the default instances or the the fact that you don't have to save your files immediately when you create a new project. And, and I love strongly typed resources. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in a way, I actually think that having this 100% object-oriented Paradigm, except you know, with the exception of modules. Although when I when I have to do projects using VBNet, I'm actually a C sharp guy. When I have to do projects using VBNet, I completely avoid modules 100. percent I'll just create classes with static members if that's really what I want to do. Well, I do too. Yeah, uh, uh, some people don't though. You still see a lot of modules yeah. out there. But with the exception of modules, it's a very straightforward you know system that we have now. And and in the old days, dealing with VB6, for example, um, you know I'd use a function. And I had no idea where it was, where it was coming from, or where to find the documentation on it, or what was going on. Uh, but with VBNet, I can just kind of drill down the namespace hierarchy and find that bit that I'm looking for and read up on it. There's more to know, but uh, I think it's I think that the system for approaching the stuff that you need to know is cleaner and more approachable now. But I think that that that, that small percent that the beginning or the you know part-time programmer uses almost all the time. It's just a little bit different and a little bit bigger with uh-huh. um, with .NET, where it, it certainly feels more intimidating to people. It certainly scares people more, and and perhaps eventually that's what it's going to turn out to be. Is just a matter of of you know fear and apprehension. I love VB.NET. It's a great yeah. language. Yeah, of course. But you know, it's it just worries me when I see people you know dropping out. The, you know, the kinds of people that are user groups and, and the kind of people that I talk to. There's fewer and fewer people that are doing it. You know, in the you know four hour week week is all I've got, and and I'm out doing that. And well, do you I'm think, Kathleen, that do you think that it might be that the, nobody's really addressing them in user groups and in the books and in the conferences? They're all going for the you know the the high end, low level, cool stuff. So you can you know the garbage collection, the serialization, the code generation. And nobody's really talking to these people anymore. You know, it could be that, and it could be some things in marketing too. Because one, I've got some amazing Certainly. emails in response to that. But one of the things that was striking is I probably got. Oh, 25% of the emails were from people who told me that um, .NET was too expensive. Hmm. And, you know, it's, you, you, can, you can get even Visual Studio pretty, pretty cheaply if you're working at an entry level. Yeah, and the so, standard edition is like 99 bucks or something. Yeah, right? and, and it's got some weaknesses. And it's getting system. cheaper, though. Yeah, and, and I think an MS, um, MSDE is available so you can get access to SQL Server. And, you know, there's just there's a lot of stuff out there right now. 
in terms of getting people onto the platform. But I don't think that the hobbyist knows that. I don't think it's being True. put forward in a way they can find it yet. And they're kind of looking for, you know, the new Turbo Pascal again. And, and it's not being marketed that way right now. So people just don't find it. For That's example, true. yeah, for example, Kathleen, there's a, a link I saw just the other day. I think it's the VB at the movies thing that MSDN just put up. Okay. But there's a link up there where you can basically get Visual Basic Professional for free. Okay. And, That's always uh, a good price. Yeah. And so I think, you know, Microsoft may be testing the waters here with, you know, trying to find out who bites, you know, if people are going to uh, take the bait or not. Yeah, and I, I think that's great because, you know, this is not going to be a, a big revenue stream no matter how they, they pull it off. You know, and, I, and this has happened, you know, for years talking right. to somebody who's looking at whether they get a stereo or a copy of VP for Christmas. You know, hmm. the, what, you know they're trying to figure out what to ask their, their spouse for on, on that. It's a hard sell. You know, it's, it's, we're, there's not a lot of money down that revenue stream, and getting um, a language into those people's hands helps .NET, and it's eventually going to help the Longhorn platform. I buy that. I do buy that. The, the, one of the good things, though, is that uh, there is some competition out there in terms of companies trying to give away their IDEs, right? Um, I don't know, actually, about VB in particular, because, like I said, I'm, I'm more on the C-sharp side of things, but I know that Borland, for example, gives away the personal edition of its, I think it's called C-sharp Builder. Yeah. And, and that's a pretty feature-rich IDE. There are some strings attached if you get the personal edition, but it's something you can learn on. And, of course, there's Sharp Edit. Right. Um, and uh, that's a pretty slick IDE that goes away for free. There's the Web Matrix, right. which is also free. So there, there are a lot of nice entry points for people who are dealing with a, with a low budget. There's always Notepad. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to give them more than no- Notepad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but there there definitely are a lot of ways of of getting into .NET development if you don't have a large budget, as many college students on campuses with campus wide lands know. Well, well, now if I can go there for just a second, um, anyone who's not available, there is a phenomenal academic program um, in, where entire departments can get um, the whole um, operating systems and in .NET into their computer science departments for absolutely next to nothing, wow. and to all their students and faculty. So anyone who's at a university and interested in .NET really needs to follow up with their um, academic contacts at Microsoft, which at worst case would be going to Microsoft and looking up academic. We'll and there find might a be link. some better routes. Yeah, I, we'll, I don't have a link, I'm afraid. We'll find one. We'll find a link. Yeah. We'll it's it out there. there. Yeah, yeah, but it's on the order of like 1000 or 2000 bucks for all the students and faculty to have access for it while they're working at the university. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. And is, Microsoft is, has seen that particular hole as being one that they ought to address. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yeah, don't take my word absolutely for that, because this you know, is something I heard from somebody that, that I, I think should have known what they're talking about. But it's definitely something anyone at university should kind of follow up and see what they can find on. Okay. Is, do, you know if, do you remember if that's sort of like a per capita kind of thing, or if that's just for your department? I was under the impression it was for the department, but like I said, I, I don't think you should take my word for it, because yeah. it was something that, that I kind of heard about in passing, because I was complaining about you know, that Microsoft wasn't doing enough. And they said, wait a minute, we just launched this new program and explained right. it to me. And so um, I, I think my trend. information is correct, but I'm not sure. It's been their trend to, you know, find the markets where they're not going to be, be making their money back and, and making it cheap for those markets. So I, I don't know what's going on, but I can pretty much, you know, see that that's gonna con- that trend is going to continue. Yeah. Um, who knows where it's going to end up, though? Yeah. Well, Kathleen, we were talking at Dev Connections with uh, you and and Dan Appleman and myself about uh, you know he was he's promoting his book uh, the book for teens and security yeah um, which is called Always Use Protection a right. Teen's Guide to Safe Computing which <laughs> is a great book by the way and yeah if you missed that conversation that was actually our first live show that we did um, 
and you were you were really interested in this because your son programs right, right. and yeah. he um he's actually involved in a program I, I'd love to to give a quick plug to um it's usaco.org and it's a training and competition program for high school students and it is a phenomenal training program and kids in high school don't get much access to high end computer training i mean it's it's tough to find there's a few isolated places but this is some something anybody in the world can sign on and be involved in, and it's all online training. But it's it's very good. It's hardcore al- algorithm stuff, and it's it's really been been great for him. And I, I, as a mom, I'll, I'll brag and say that he just uh, made the cut for the the for the group of kids that'll be working together on the national team. So cool. he's not on the national team yet. How old is he? He's seventeen. What, what's his name? Uh, ben Jorah. So shout out to him. All right, yeah. Ben. Way to go. <laughs> That's awesome. He, he's an awesome kid. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, kind of circles around me. So how did he get started programming? Well, you know, that was kind of fun because, um, you know, as, as a parent, you never know you're doing the right thing. And, and so you just kind of fake it. And then by the time <laughs> you know you did it right or wrong, it's kind of too late, you know. So, um, but, you know, I, I tended to have a lot kind of going on in my life. And so I would just kind of aim him at the computer. And like the first time he sat down to program, we programmed together the little butterfly thing in VB3 with little butterfly flaps around the screen. <laughs> He's like, you know, 11 years old. And so he says, okay, mom, that's great. Now I want to kill it. so i said i said oh that's a that's great why why don't you see what you can work out i have to go make dinner and so i left him and he didn't get the butterfly to explode okay i mean nothing exciting but he did get the butterfly to stop flapping and float to the bottom of the screen you know which i thought was really pretty cool to do for your first program so that he came up through gaming and writing you know through writing games and uh when we're now he's um algorithms is his love and, and he's pretty hardcore with with that so yeah, that's what he does. Does he do any code generation? Um, he, he helped me with the book. He, he understands really? it, and he actually did a lot of the. Con- he did some tech editing for the book, and then he also did a lot of the conversion to C sharp. Because he's more of a. He's actually um, for the competition. All he does some some uh, some Linux, and then he does. That's the way he rebels. I mean, you know. So. <laughs> 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 yeah. So he spent obviously a lot of time by himself teaching himself how to code. Did he do this with or without Ritalin? <laughs> without, without. He's, he's, All right. he's a clean kid, yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Do you guys watch a lot of TV in no. the house? See, no, we have it, one um, in the house, but but uh, it's, my younger son watches it some. TV but, is uh, evil. Yeah, oh. it is. And, you know, got to give you get your kids something else to do because just telling them to turn it off isn't enough. They've got to have another love in life, and, and he does. And, and that's really great. He's also um, a, a very confident musician. And so, cool. um, you know, putting those things together is, is great. And turning the TV off is a good way to get there. So, so Jim Blizzard, .NET developer evangelist on the West Coast, my, my homeboy back in the Pacific Northwest, just sent me the link to the volume licensing for educational institutions for Microsoft. Nice. www.microsoft.com slash education slash campusagreement.aspx. Great. So I just wanted to get that out there. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, I'm, so the, I'm writing. Sorry. So that's good <laughs> stuff, actually. There, we, we always talk about that link between computer nerds and musicians so it's cool to hear i i was raised in a very similar manner to him except that neither one of my parents knew anything about code generation 
either with or without <laughs> software. Yeah, he's and, got a bit of an edge, an advantage there. Kevin. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I actually remember I was in seventh grade and Quick C two point five was all the rage, mm-hmm. and uh, my parents were watching Lawrence of Arabia, <laughs> and I stood between them and the TV for two hours, which of course was only about a, a sixth of the movie, and, uh, and, I, and I stood between them and the TV, and I was just like, Dad, I just want Quick C. Dad, I just come on, look, it's like an early Christmas present. Just give me Quick C. And Dad, Dad, and you just keep saying no, and I'm thinking, man, you know what? You either get me quick seat or I'm going to pick up a drug habit, okay? <laughs> you got your choice right now, pal. And you which know? happened? I mean, what? Well, you got to understand my dad's upbringing, okay? He wanted me to rebel. He wanted so you went with the here. drugs, basically, is what you're saying. There was a compromise halfway down the middle. Picked up quick basic. Oh, uh, this is great. And uh, we'll just leave the substance abuse stories for another time. So. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that's cool that he's getting that early start because I think there's something to it when it, it – you start that young, it winds up kind of in your blood almost. You know? Well, he's, he's actually it's already in his blood. He doesn't have much choice about that. He's a third-generation programmer. Oh, uh, my wow. mother was also a programmer, although she started after I did. So, But he's a third-generation programmer. If and this was like 300 years ago, you would have been like, Kathleen the programmer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of, kind of cool there. But yeah, so it's... Um, He's kind of he's kind of just come up with it, so it's been, great. it's been good. Somebody in the chat room said they had to use VB DOS in one of their classes. Ugh. Oh, recently? Wow, uh, or ever? ever? <laughs> 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 Actually, no. You know what though? VB DOS was pretty cool. I'll say that much. Especially when it was back in the day when you had to write your own widgets and your own text yeah. menu oh, systems. Sucked. It sucked. I no, because I, I was I a PDC. I was a you know PDS seven programmer, professional yeah. developer system. And I was used to having more than 20K of free RAM, <laughs> you know? And I know they could have done that a lot smaller and a lot faster because at the time, you know, Crescent was all about making small, fast modules and for, you know, conserve memory. We only had 640K. Back in it. my day, we only had 640K. Not you whippersnappers. Well, yeah. anyway, Kathleen, you have any last minute words of wisdom to impart on the listening audience? No, I just, you know, I think it's great. To grab a hold of code generation and do it for yourself. I, I think it's, it's something that um, you get a lot more out of if you can control those templates and make it look like what you need in the output. What's and the name so of the book? Code Generation in Microsoft.net. Awesome. Available at Amazon.com, I'm sure. It is. So all you listeners out there, take it, buy it, and do Kathleen a favor and leave a nice comment for all the other people at amazon.com so that uh, give her five stars and send us five bucks and send us five bucks <laughs> and we are now accepting scotch as a gift you know, send us your favorite scotch don't listen to don kylie we like it uh, i well, go with lafrog no haggis if any haggis comes ups or fedex <laughs> it's, co- it's going back return to sender all right kathleen we'll talk to you later okay bye-bye Bye, thanks, thanks very much for coming on the show so uh wow, what a great show, Roy. This you know, I just wanted to I think I like this format now where you know we're a little more relaxed in yeah. the show. You know, we have a beer, we have some scotch, to haven't had enough show. sleep. Yeah, it's kinda it's fun. It, I, I love this format. I'm telling you folks, it's here to stay. I'm I, I just agree. really, really like this and Thursday night feels better. You know, and you know, there's plenty of other places where you can get professional quality, quote unquote information about .NET and about programming and learn all the the little details that you need because the show isn't about details. It's about ideas and it's about the people out there who are making Sometimes ideas. details, but it's about everything. Right? It's about everything. It's about your life as a developer. There, there's, there's more to coding than just semicolons or end ifs depending on yeah. which side of the fence. Absolutely. On, so. so keep listening to .NET Rocks and we'll, we'll keep uh, making them. something. 
And tell a friend. <laughs> tell a friend to join us here Thursday nights. And tell your friend to tell that friend. And tell your friend to tell that friend to tell that friend to tell a friend. <laughs> and don't stop. And if you can't, tell two friends. And tell them to tell two friends. And we love you guys. Keep writing code. Most of you, anyway. Drive by. 